the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 62 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. No wonder Jesus said, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of of righteousness. What he's saying is all citizens of the kingdom, in whatever era they, they live in, they experience persecution for the sake of righteousness. If you have been wondering why Christians have always faced persecution, then stay right here because we will find out what God's Word has to say about that very subject today on Verse by Verse. On behalf of Pastor Steve Kreloff, let me welcome you to our ongoing study of the Beatitudes. Today, Pastor Steve will continue our examination of the eighth beatitude, which is found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Persecution is almost as old as the human race. As a matter of fact, the second man ever born was martyred by his older brother. Here is Pastor Steve to explain how and why persecution continues today. And it's very interesting, Jesus actually used the example of Abel to speak of the righteous being persecuted. This is interesting. I would turn there, if you can, Matthew chapter 23. And I know you can because you're in Matthew's gospel, so you know where it is. Matthew 23. Notice verses 34 and 35. Now, in context, Jesus is, is reproving and rebuking the Pharisees and the scribes for their religious hypocrisy. And he, said in verse, he says in verse 34, Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes, meaning I'm sending into your community godly men who are going to give the message of the gospel. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you'll scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. Now notice this in verse 35, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Why is the Lord talking about this? Why is he mentioning Abel and who's Zechariah? Well, you know what? It's very simple. Abel was the first martyr in the Old Testament era, and Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, was the last one to be martyred in the Old Testament era. And our Lord is saying to these Pharisees that, that you killed them, not meaning, meaning not you directly, but you, with that attitude, you unrighteous people are the ones who murdered them. We would say it like this. We would say you're responsible because you hate believers and you killed them from A to Z, Abel to Zechariah. But Jesus is using it more in the terms of, of the Old Testament era. So what he's saying is that from the beginning of time until now, God's people have always experienced persecution at the hands of the ungodly. And you know what? The rest of scripture affirms that, that, that in fact, Jesus will say, and Stephen later will say, which of the prophets did your fathers not, not persecute? And that's absolutely true. 
The men that we admire today were all persecuted. Moses by Pharaoh, David by Saul, Elijah by Jezebel, Nehemiah by Sanballat and Tobiah. Jeremiah was beaten and thrown into a cistern of mud. Tradition has it that the prophet Isaiah was dismembered by being sawn in in two. And it's no wonder that Stephen, the first martyr in the Christian era, said to, as I mentioned before, to the men who were about to kill him, which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? It killed them all. Or at least they persecuted them all. But it wasn't just high-profile prophets who got persecution. Everybody, every godly person in the Old Testament era was persecuted, not just the well-known ones. You can see this. You don't need to turn there. But in Hebrews chapter 11, our writer tells us after mentioning some of these great men and women by name and the the hall of, of fame of the great men and women of faith, he says in verse 36, he says, and others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. These are the unnamed people who we will only know in glory who they were. But these are the rank and file of just Old Testament believers. That's what they experienced. And you know what? Persecution didn't stop when the Old Testament era stopped. Continued in the New Testament. The book of Acts, which is the history, reveals the history of the early spread of Christianity, has at least 56 mentions and instances of persecution in those early years of Christianity. That's amazing. One book of the Bible mentions 56 statements and, and instances of persecution. We know that all the apostles were murdered with the exception of, of John, who was exiled to the island of Patmos. And the most prominent of all apostles, the Apostle Paul, actually gives us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 a glimpse of what it, what it meant to be an apostle, what he went through. Listen to Paul's afflictions, and not because life was just hard living back then, but because of the gospel, because of being persecuted for righteousness. 2 Corinthians 11.23 He says, uh, far more labors, far more imprisonments, meaning than other apostles, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. This man lived a dangerous life. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And folks, these are only the external things that he that was part of the persecution. He went through internal things. In fact, the whole book is about his internal suffering because the church at Corinth didn't respond to him and appreciate him like they should have. So this is a man who suffered. But once again, it wasn't only apostles, high-profile apostles, who faced such hardship. The early Christians suffered greatly for their faith. Many of them suffered and were persecuted at the hands of government officials who burned them at the stake or threw them to the lions. Many were tortured at the command of the emperor, Nero. 
One historian gives a graphic picture of the atrocities that Nero imposed upon Christians. He writes this, Nero wrapped the Christians in pitch and set them uh, afire and used them as living torches to light his gardens. He sewed them in the skins of wild animals and set his hunting dogs upon them to tear them to death. They were tortured on the rack. They were scraped with pincers. Molten lead was poured hissing upon them. Red-hot brass plates were affixed to the tenderest parts of their bodies. Eyes were torn out. Parts of their bodies were cut off and roasted before their eyes. Their hands and feet were burned while cold water was poured over them to lengthen the agony. End of quote. And you know what? Organized persecution continues today. You and I tend to be sheltered from that. Uh, we live in America where we have not yet experienced a whole lot of physical persecution for our faith, but, but it would be wrong to assume that that's the way the rest of the world is. Not, it's not true. With the rise of communism and Islam, thousands upon thousands of believers have, have suffered because of their faith, and they continue to suffer for their faith. According to the World Christian Encyclopedia, which was published in the 1980s, three 100,000 believers have been martyred for their faith in recent years. And somewhere, and I don't have the statistic to back it up, but somewhere I remember reading that more, more Christians have died in persecution in the last century than all of the years leading up to it, the last 2,000 years. That's an amazing statistic. I wish I could find where I read that. But uh, I have no reason to think that, that that wasn't true. Persecution continues today. No wonder Jesus said, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. What he's saying is all citizens of the kingdom, in whatever era they they live in, they experience persecution for the sake of righteousness. In fact, Paul said in Philippians 1, he said, you know what? It's God's gift to you. It's been given to you to believe on him. Philippians 1 verse 28, it's been given to you to believe on him and it's been given to you to suffer for his name. It's probably a gift you and I could uh, say, Lord, thank you, but no thank you. But it is a gift from God. We all, we all suffer. Now, the question is why? Why would the world be so hostile to Christians? I want you to know Jesus doesn't really answer that question in the Beatitudes, in the Eighth Beatitude. He touches on it. He opens the door by saying, for the sake of righteousness, but he doesn't really, really get into that. However, In John chapter 15, and you must turn there, John 15, Jesus gave us the reason behind such persecution. It's very important that you see this. John chapter 15. Now, this is part of our Lord's farewell discourse to his disciples. He's about to be arrested. He wants them to understand what's what's coming. He doesn't want them to be surprised by this. And so I'm going to read to you the verses and then go back and comment on it. It starts in verse 18, and we touched on this. I believe last week, but I said I would go into it in more detail this week. Verse 18 says, if the world hates you, as we've said before, the thought here is since the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have not sinned. 
But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Now, I'm not going to go into all of it, but I, I want to touch on verses 15, uh, verses 18 and 19, rather. By these words, Jesus was emphatically declaring that the world, meaning the world of unbelievers, the world of unbelievers hates him just as they hate his father, God the Father. Our Lord was certainly the most righteous person who has ever lived, perfect, impeccable. And yet the world hated him. So the question is, why did they hate him? Why did they hate him? The reason the world hated Jesus was because he was righteous. And in his righteousness, he exposed them for what they were, not righteous, hypocritical, self-righteous sinners, proud, arrogant, self-exalting sinners. You see, before the Lord came, men could continue to get away with their sin by pretending to be better than others. And that's what they did, especially the religious leaders of his day. They pretended they were better than others. But by his very words and by his very lifestyle, Jesus uncovered their inner hearts and he exposed them for what they were. In other words, he just ripped their masks of deceit off and said, this is what you really are. You don't, you don't love God. You hate God. His words and, and his righteousness forced them to see themselves for what they really were, not lovers of God. As I said, haters of God. Jesus had said, men love darkness rather than light because they want to continue in their sin. And he is the light. And he, ex- he, he poured that light upon them and they couldn't handle it. His holiness revealed the truth about them. They, they were really just sinful, belligerent, rebellious, self-righteous, legalistic phonies. And they despised him for it. And they said, we're going to silence him. We're going to put these convicting accusations to rest by killing him. And you know what? They did. They did. They murdered Jesus. Why? Because they couldn't handle the conviction. Because his life was, and words were a rebuke to them. But watch this. Here's the point. Here's where we come in. Even though the world succeeded in murdering Christ, Jesus has left behind some disciples who have been inwardly transformed by him so that while we're not perfect like him, we do resemble him to a degree in our righteous character. Now, do you see it come together? That's the point of verse 19. If you were of the world, Jesus said, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, Why are we not of the world? The next phrase, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. Why does the world hate us? Because we remind them of Jesus. That's why. And they hated him. And why did they hate him? Because he was a rebuke to them. They couldn't handle knowing what what wicked hearts they really had. They wanted to think of themselves as great, great spiritual men. But Christ's life was a rebuke to them. And that's what happens with us. We've been changed by by virtue of the inward transformation of our character, that the new birth and the new divine nature given to us at our conversion, we're now different from the world. That's what Jesus meant. If you were of the world, they'd love you. You affirm their sinfulness. But I've chosen you out of the world, and we remind them of Jesus. And since they can't do anything more to Jesus in a physical sense, they come after us because we remind them 
of him. So they turn their attention upon us. See, just as Christ's righteousness was a constant rebuke to unbelievers, so our transformed character serves as a constant reminder and a rebuke to them of what they are not. Now, let me just clarify something here. It seems to me that while our Lord is specifically talking about the principle of the unrighteous persecuting the righteous, there, there is a valid application that some of you may have experienced. Sometimes believers experience more persecution from fellow believers than they do from the world. And I'll tell you why. Because there are those who profess to know Christ who either don't know him or they are so weak in their walk, they are so carnal that when others live godly lives, it bothers them. Some of you have that in your own family. You, you come from families where uh, uh, perhaps your mom, dad, somebody, sibling claims to know Christ, but now you've really been converted. And you know what? Your zeal is wonderful. You're studying the Bible. You want to live by it morally and ethically. And they look at you and, and, and they say something like, you know, it's all right that you believe in Jesus, but stop being a fanatic. You go to church twice on Sunday. You have to be in a class on Wednesday. What is happening to you? And many have experienced persecution just because you stand for the truth and those who claim to know Christ can't handle that. But the principle is this, unrighteousness always has a problem with righteousness. Now, let me illustrate this, how it works specifically in terms of the great truths of the Beatitude. Jesus said that citizens of his kingdom, remember he started by saying that they were poor in spirit, meaning not that they're fi always financially poor, although some are, but meaning that we recognize our spiritual poverty. No one enters the kingdom who thinks that they are wealthy spiritually. They have to know they're bankrupt sinners, that they're destitute before God. They have no merit to offer God. Now, Jesus said that that's the way we are. We're poor in spirit. But that attitude, quite frankly, clashes with our culture. Our world admires pride and self-sufficiency, and they're not going to accept being poor in anything. They don't want that. Wealth is power. And you better have it. And don't say that even in attitude, there's something poor about you. So immediately, the world has a problem with us. Jesus said that believers mourn over their sin. Blessed are those who mourn and weep. But our world hates the thought of personal sin. They hate that thought. And they're not interested in mourning about anything. It's a world that says, I do what I do to be happy. Whatever makes me happy, I do. It's a, it's a hedonistic world. Pleasure is everything. The message of the world is also be positive and sin is so negative. What about positive thinking? After all, where's your self-image, man? If you say you're a sinner, you're really putting yourself down. So once again, it's a clash with the world. Jesus called us gentle, but the world hates humility. They consider gentleness, meekness, the same as weakness. It's not, but that's what they think. They don't consider it strength of character, which is what it's talking about. This is a world that believes you put yourself ahead of other people. Remember, nice guys finish last. Jesus also said that we, we hunger and we thirst for righteousness, but this is a world that finds righteousness repugnant in today's permissive and, and lustful society. Jesus said we were merciful, but mercy is out of step with a world that holds grudges. 
and refuses to forgive others. And you come along and say, yes, I've chosen to forgive, forgive this person. And their attitude is, well, you're a fool to forgive them after what they did to you. I'd never do that. And they're right. They never would. So immediately we clash. Jesus said that we are pure in heart, meaning that certainly not perfection. Remember, we studied this, but meaning that we have single-minded devotion to him. There's a a single-mindedness, but that runs contrary to our culture. Our culture encourages self-focus. Our culture encourages self-love. It it doesn't, doesn't encourage devotion to anybody else but yourself. And Jesus said that we were peacemakers because we and we alone resolve conflicts by addressing the need to repent. We live in a world that loves to argue and fight. It's a world that resists those who who point out their sin. So you can see there are problems. There are problems. And and I think it helps to put it in the perspective of the Beatitudes, because that's precisely what our Lord was talking about. It helps us to understand why the world hates us and persecutes us, because everything we have become in Christ, the world scorns. Everything. Don't be naive about that. It's everything. As John Stott puts it, persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. And he's absolutely right. See, our very character is a protest against ungodly, self-centered character. You don't even have to do anything. It just is. We've become sort of a moral conscience to our culture because of our new and changed character. As I said, it serves as a rebuke to their sinful, rebellious character. And you know what? It bothers them. It bothers them, and they are going to strike back. And it's this striking back at us that Jesus referred to as persecution for the sake of righteousness. Now, that gives you, that ought to open up your your understanding of this whole thing. I want to stop here and see, how do these truths apply to us specifically, apply to our lives? What do we do with these wonderful principles? Well, if you are determined to live out the truths of authentic biblical Christianity on a daily basis, there's no way that you're going to avoid some rejection and some persecution and hostility from the world. There's no way of doing that. Now, as I said before, I touched on, I want to just clarify this. This doesn't mean that you will have nonstop opposition from the world. That's not what it means at all. Even the Lord and his apostles didn't have continuous persecution. But it does mean that there will be definite times of harassment and opposition. And I don't understand why this happens, but God in his sovereignty chooses some believers to experience more persecution than others. I don't, I don't know why, but God does, and we leave, it, we leave it at that. But every believer experiences some opposition at some time, at some time. You shouldn't be surprised by this. Jesus warned us about it. The Bible teaches about it. But you also should make sure that you never back off from godly living because you want to avoid suffering for your faith. That's the temptation we face. That's the temptation every one of us faces. And and we all need the encouragement to press on. We all need the encouragement to be godly and righteous in the face of opposition, because I'll tell you, nobody enjoys persecution. They say they do, they do. They're kind of a sick person. Nobody enjoys it. No one enjoys being rejected. No one delights in being ridiculed. No one enjoys the thought of being called a religious nut. Nobody enjoys that. And when those waves of opposition come, our natural tendency is to waver and, and uh, just vacillate. 
in our commitment to Christ. And when we do that, we will compromise his word so that we live like the world, so that the world doesn't dislike us. If we're like them, we think, then they won't hate us because our life won't be so offensive to them. And so when opposition comes from the world because of righteousness, we often find ourselves tempted, quite frankly, to to embrace the world's morality, the world's ethics. We find ourselves tempted to laugh at their perverted humor. We find ourselves often applauding their tasteless, often tasteless entertainment. We find ourselves failing to share the gospel of Christ and the glorious truths of Scripture, truths like... uh, sin, repentance, judgment, righteousness, the doctrine of hell. We find ourselves backing off because, because we know that they're, they're not going to say to us, thank you so much for sharing that with me. I, I'm so much more enlightened now. You know that's not going to be the reaction. Live like the world, believe like the world, or at least come across like you believe like they do, and the world won't hate you. They'll love you. And folks, all of us are tempted like that. All of us. When we come back with the next verse by verse, we will learn about a prominent New Testament character who was ready to give up and find out how the Apostle Paul encouraged him. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida is our teacher and our topic is the character of true disciples. These classes are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We're on the web at versebyverseradio.org. If everything seems to be coming up roses in your life, is that a good thing? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 